Today I want to look at a chapter that I actually preached a series on about 18 months ago. And normally I wouldn't look at that so soon. But as I began this week to, to try to write other messages that about three or four started, I kept getting drawn back to Acts 27. And so today and next week I want to do a little mini-series called Unsinkable, How to Survive a Storm. Unsinkable. How to Survive a Storm, and that obviously speaks to the current conditions that we're living in right now. But the reality is this, that even after COVID-19 disappears, even after we come through this storm, there will be other storms. There will be other strains. There will be other challenges. There will be other obstacles that we'll have to face. And so it's really important, whether you're going through a storm right now, or whether there's one in the future, that you know, first of all, how to avoid it if you can. But if you can't avoid it, how you can come through it. So that's what we're going to be looking at. Acts 27. You can open your Bible if you have one at home, but if not, the verses as always will appear on the screen. Would you pray with me really briefly as we come to God's Word? Father God, we thank you that your Word speaks to every season and every situation of our lives. And today we ask that your Holy Spirit would take your Word, that it would speak to us, that challenge us, convert us, convict us, and comfort us at this unique time that we're living in. We ask all of this through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm sure all of you have heard of the Titanic. I'm sure many of you here in Northern Ireland, if you're watching this, have visited the Titanic exhibition in Belfast. I've heard it's fantastic. But I didn't realize until recently that the Titanic was actually one of three sister ships that were all built by the same company at around the same time. The company was called White Star Line. And they built the Titanic, but also two other ships, one called the Olympic and one called the Britannic, which is, uh, for some of you, if you're a boat geek, you might find that interesting. For me, it's not. But here's what I also discovered, is that the, the both sister ships, one of them sank and one of them almost sank. The Britannic actually sank and the Olympic nearly did. It actually crashed in to another ship, which again is somewhat interesting. But here was the most interesting bit. There was one woman who worked on all three ships. There was one lady called Violet Jessup who worked on all three. She started out on the Olympic in 1910. A year later, it collided with another ship, the HMS Hawk, and nearly went down, but she survived it and went home safely. She then went to work on board the Titanic for its maiden voyage. And as you know from Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet, it hit an iceberg and went down with uh, around 1,500 people losing their lives. Violet got into one of the lifeboats and was actually rescued. You'd think after that she would find another job in Asda or Tesco or somewhere like that. But no, not our Violet. She then went to work in the Titanic sister ship, the Britannic. It ran into a German bomb in the Aegean Sea and sank. Violet didn't manage to get into a lifeboat. She actually jumped overboard. And later they discovered that she had fractured her skull when she jumped over. She just thought she had a bad headache. This Violet Jessup was one hardcore woman. But even after this, she spent the rest of her life working on various ships. Uh, None of them sank, thankfully. But I don't know about you. 
But, but I, I wouldn't be getting onto any ship that Violet Jessup worked on. If I were to be getting on the ship and somebody shouted, Hi, Violet, I would say, What's her surname? They would say, Jessup. I'd say, I, I think I'll just hold off. Thank you very much. I, I, I've, I've just realized of something to do. I'll get the next one. I'm not saying she's jinxed. I'm just saying that she is unfortunate. But people actually thought she was incredibly fortunate and blessed. In fact, her nickname became Miss Unsinkable. Miss Unsinkable. And as we come to the scriptures today in Acts 27, I think if the Apostle Paul had a nickname, it would be this, Mr. Unsinkable. In one of his letters to a church in a place called Corinth, he's talking about some of the things he's gone through as he's preached the gospel. And this is what he says in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. Three times the Apostle Paul was shipwrecked. Imagine if he had married Violet Jessup. That would have been a match made in the depths of the sea, wouldn't it? But actually, as we come to the passage here in Acts 27, there's another shipwreck that's about to happen. Because Paul wrote his letter to the Corinthians before this happens. So he's about to face his fourth shipwreck. You'd almost think there was an enemy trying to get rid of him. And yet, as we will see, he survives them all. He is Mr. Unsinkable. The reality is, like the Apostle Paul, we're all going to face storms. It's just life. It just happens. If you live long enough, you will face storms of varying severity. In the Bible, we see different storms. Jonah went through a storm, didn't he? Remember, he runs away from God, he gets onto a boat, and there's a huge storm, and they have to throw him overboard. That was a storm caused by his own uh, fault. And let's be honest, some of the storms in our own lives, we, we cause them ourselves, don't we? You know, I often joke that the devil didn't make me do it. In fact, the devil was able to take a day off because I was able to do that problem, make that mistake, walk into that uh, storm all by myself. And there's sometimes in life that we cause our own storms. There's other times in life that storms just happen. We don't deserve them. We haven't done anything to cause them. They're just life. Even Jesus in the Gospels went through two separate storms, one in Mark 4 and one in Mark 6. In one of them, he slept through it, and the other one, he walked on top of it. But Jesus went through storms. And here we have the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle, as he's seeking to preach the gospel, as he's, as he's seeking to do God's will, he goes through a storm. And this storm in Acts 27 is the worst one he's ever faced. So the reality of life is this. You can't go through life without rough seas. Life is not smooth sailing. But some storms are worse than others. There's some storms and they knock us a bit, but we recover quickly. Then there's other storms that, that we think we're sinking. We're not sure if we're going to make it through. We're not sure if we're going to get back up. They, they almost take us under. They almost finish us off. And that's why we need to develop character qualities and traits and spiritual disciplines into our lives that will make us unsinkable. And one more thing just before we get into the text, and it's this, that the storm impacts everyone differently. 
See, at a time like this, we often say things like this. We're all in the same boat, aren't we? I mean, with this whole COVID thing, with the shutdown, with the lockdown, we're kind of all in the same boat. It's affected everybody almost right across the world. And in one sense, that's true. But in another sense, we might be all in the same boat, but we're not all in the same place in the boat. You see, there's some people who will come through this, and quite honestly, it will not have affected you that much. Maybe you've been inconvenienced. Maybe the kids are driving you mad. Maybe, you know, your earnings are down a bit, whatever that is. But honestly, you'll come through this storm relatively unscathed. For other people, that's not the case. There's people who are much more vulnerable in this storm. There's people for whom this storm has been devastating. They've lost loved ones. They've lost jobs. They're not sure how they're going to put food on the table this week. They haven't seen their kids or their grandkids in two months. There's people who, who are, are vulnerable in nursing homes who are completely isolated and who are really struggling. There's people with mental health issues who are really battling depression and anxiety right now. And so while we all go through the same storm, we all go through it differently. And for those of you right now who are going through this storm and it's not impacting you this much, think about those who maybe it is. You know, just because you're in a lifeboat doesn't mean that they are. The incredible thing about the Titanic, just as an aside, was this. That about 60% of the lifeboats were full. The vast majority of deaths on the Titanic were not from drowning, they were from pneumonia. And it was because people got into the lifeboats and because they were okay, they, they, they kept away from all the people who were in the water and let them drown because they were afraid if they got in, they would sink. And the attitude was this. If I'm okay, that's all that matters. Listen, we are a people who are a lifeboat people. We're a people who look out for those who are drowning in the water. We're a people who reach out to those and reach and, and grab them and bring them in. Let's be a people at this time who constantly remember just because we're doing okay maybe in this, not everybody around us is. And let's make sure that our lifeboat is full of people who need help and encouragement right now. With that in mind, actually, can I just say to you, to continue to give your offering here. That enables us as, as the hands and feet of, of, of Christ, as the church here, to help people who are going through those difficult times right now. In the next week or so, we're going to be packing up 60 food parcels, I think it is, worth £40 each. That's uh, our way of helping some of the families in the area. So can I just encourage you to keep giving as you can so that we can continue to help those who are struggling at this time. But let's look at Acts 27. Look at verse 1 with me. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius who belonged to the imperial regiment. I need to give you a little bit of background here for you to understand what's going on. For the last two years, Paul has been under house arrest in a place called Caesarea. Uh, for preaching the gospel, the Jewish religious authorities have reported him. The Romans have him under house arrest. He's in legal limbo. He's fed up. He's like either put me in jail properly, uh, convict me or release me, and they're not willing to do that. So instead, he, as a Roman citizen, he appeals to Caesar, to the highest court, to the supreme court, and, is, and goes to stand trial before Caesar in Rome. So that's what's happening now. He's getting onto a boat 
to go to Rome. He's always wanted to go to Rome. He told the Romans in the book of, of Romans that he had longed to visit them. However, he wanted to go as a preacher, but here he's going as a prisoner. You know, sometimes, and this is, again is just an aside, sometimes God gives you what you've longed for and prayed for, but not in the way you expect to get it. Sometimes God gives you the dream and the desire and the prayer for your heart, but you don't get it in the way that you planned or maybe through the people that you planned, but that you do get it in the end. So just be conscious of that, that just because God isn't doing things the way you planned or expect doesn't mean he is not working. So he's handed over to this centurion named Julius. It says there were other prisoners going. In fact, there's 276 people on board this ship. And I've, I've only got a couple of points this morning, okay? And my first one is this. When you face a storm, you want the right people around you. When you face a storm, you want to have the right friends, the right people around you. Let's keep reading verses 2 and 3. We boarded a ship from Amram, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. The next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so that they might provide for his needs. A few years ago, there was a well-known American football coach called Pepper Rogers, and he was having a terrible season. They lost every single game, and he was getting really discouraged about it. He didn't think his friends were encouraging him enough, and he didn't think his wife was being particularly encouraging at the time. He said this, my dog is my best friend. A man needs at least two friends. So my wife told me to go and get another dog. In tough times, we need faithful friends. Look at that first word here in verse 2. We. It says we. This, the person writing this is Luke. Luke, who wrote Luke's gospel, also wrote Acts. Luke was a doctor. Luke was somebody who loved detail. And Luke is writing this account of Paul's journey to Rome in every detail. But he's not writing it from a distance. He's not writing it third hand. He's writing it because he's with Paul on the boat. Think about this. He's a doctor. He had a good job. Even back then, like today, doctors were well paid. And yet he wants to be with Paul. Because Paul has been under lockdown, under quarantine, For two years, some people think his health wasn't good. And so Luke volunteered to give up his job, to give up his normal life at home, and to go with Paul to look after his health on this long journey. It would have cost him financially, but it could also have cost him in terms of his reputation. Don't forget Paul is a prisoner here. It could have cost him in terms of his life ultimately, because they're about to face a massive Storm, but there's also there's someone else who joins Paul and Luke, and his name's Aristarchus. We first meet Aristarchus here in uh, in Acts chapter 19, when Paul's preaching in Ephesus, almost 
causes a riot. People say that wherever Paul went, he caused one of two things, a revival or a riot. And in Ephesus, he has caused a riot. Look at uh, Acts 19 verse 29. Soon the whole city was in uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed them into the theater together. Now, when it says the theater here, it's not talking about the movie theater. It's not talking about somewhere you go to see a play. It's talking about the amphitheater, the place where they fed you to the lions. So being a companion of Paul, this has caused this Aristarchus to almost lose his life from a crowd of crazed people who want to throw them to the lions. Paul also mentions Aristarchus again in one of his letters to the Colossians. He says this in Colossians 4. My fellow prisoner... Aristarchus sends you his greetings. My fellow prisoner, this guy Aristarchus, because of his relationship, because of his friendship, because of his commitment to Paul, is in prison. He's been beaten, he's been almost thrown to the lands, he's been imprisoned, and he's about to go through a storm, all because of his friendship with Paul. Luke and Aristarchus, are the sort of friends I want around me when I'm facing a storm. You know, we throw the word friend around so casually these days, don't we? We'll say, oh, I'm friends with Steve. And you'll be like, oh, when's the last time you saw him? Three years ago. All right. Or you'll say, I'm Facebook friends with such and such. I've got 1,500 Facebook friends. And I'd love to say to you, well, are they real friends? If you needed 50 pounds this afternoon, how many of those 1,500 Facebook friends would give it to you? If you were in hospital, how many of them would come and visit you? We, we use the term friends so lightly and so casually. You see, there's casual friends and there's real friends. There's committed friendship and there's friends who are there in fair weather and sunshine. There's people who will go through storms and shipwrecks with you and there's people who will leave you as soon as life gets difficult. There's some people who no matter what will stick by you. I read a story about two men. Jim and Philip grew up together and were best friends the whole way through school. During World War I, they joined the army together and they, they fought side by side. And in the midst of a fierce battle, Jim discovered that Philip had been wounded and Philip was lying alone in the, tr- in the trenches in no man's land. And, and Jim turned to his commander and said, can I go and get Philip? And the commander abruptly said, no way, you're not to go and get him. And he said, please let me get him. He said, you're not to go and get him. It's too dangerous. If you go there, I'll lose you as well. Just leave him. But Jim climbed over the bunker and went and grabbed his friend Philip. He slung him over his shoulder and he started to run back to where the rest of the soldiers were. And as he's running back, he gets shot in the back and he gets shot in the leg and he runs back and he falls in front of his commander and he says, I I, I think I'm going to die. And the commander says, I've lost you too. It really wasn't worth it. I told you not to do it. You shouldn't have done it. You should have left him out there. Why didn't you leave him? It was stupid. It wasn't worth it. And Jim said this. He said, but it was worth it. The commander said, it wasn't worth it. Jim said it was. Because when I went out and lifted 
Philip up. The last words he said to me was, Jim, I knew you wouldn't leave me here. I knew you wouldn't leave me here. That's friendship. Friendship that stands by you in the heat of the battle. Friends that stand by you when you're all alone. Friends that stand by you when you're being attacked from every side. Friends that won't leave you or forsake you. Choose your friends carefully. Develop real friendships, deep friendships, not shallow, superficial friendships. Even if you have only two or three really good friends, know who those people are who when you face a storm, they will be by your side. And also be a friend like that. Be a friend, be the type of friend that you would want to have yourself when you're going through difficulties. Be loyal, be dependable, be reliable, be faithful. That's the sort of friendship that we need. You know, Jesus said this. He says, greater love has no man than this than he lays down his life for his friends. And Jesus did that as our friend. And we should be people who are willing to to lay down our lives for others. Let's be a church. Let's be a people who develop real depth of friendships, real depth of relationships. And my next point, and I think it's my last one, is this. The voice we listen to determines the storms we face. The voice that we listen to will determine the storms that we face. Let's look at verses 4 to 10. From there we put out to sea again and passed to the Lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pomphylia, we landed at Mara in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Cnidus. Uh, When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete opposite Salmoni. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lassia. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to the ship and cargo and to our own lives also. So they swap ships, and they're moving very slowly. The storm is starting to brew really gradually. It's not too serious now. There's just a wind against them, which is pushing against them and preventing them from making much progress. And you know, some storms are like that. They start slowly. You have some warning that there could be trouble ahead. You can spot the signs. You work for a company and they haven't had a new order for three months. Your marriage is slowly growing more distant. Your son or your daughter, their their behavior is changing. You notice that there's just something not right with them. There's warning lights. And when things happen gradually like that, there's things that you can maybe do to prevent the storm happening. Then there's other storms that hit you out of nowhere. You just don't see them coming. Everything's going smoothly. And then you receive a phone call in the middle of the night. An accident happens. You find out a piece of information and your whole world 
is shattered. Everything that you believed about something, all the trust that you placed in someone is taken from you. Maybe you feel a lump. Maybe tests come back from the doctor. Whatever it is, in a moment, you're hit with a storm and it feels like it's come from nowhere. Here in Acts 27, this storm is gradual. It could have been avoided. There's already warning signs. But only Paul is willing to voice the warning signs. And sometimes God will put people in our lives who will voice the warning signs. Sometimes in his grace and his goodness, he will place friends in our lives who will have the courage to take a deep breath and look at us and say, I just, I'm concerned for you right now. I'm concerned for how you're living. I'm concerned because I notice this change in you. I'm concerned because I I just see that you're going down a path and it's not good. Uh, And sometimes we can get very uptight and very resentful about that. But actually, they're not trying to hurt us. They're trying to heal us. They're trying to keep us from going into a storm. But of course, very often, if we've set our hearts and our course in something, we'll plow right ahead anyway. It's up to us whether we choose to listen to them or ignore them. Look at verse 10 with me. Paul warned them. Paul spoke up. He says, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to the ship and cargo and to our lives also. Paul sees the warning signs. You know those little lights that come on on your dashboard and tell you that there's something wrong with the engine? There's something wrong with, you know, there's some of them come on and you can ignore them, okay? Like the water in your your wipers. You can ignore that for a few days. When the engine light comes on or the brake light comes on, you're probably better attending to it. Paul sees the warning lights here and he's saying, guys, I can tell you that things are not going to go well here. I mean, he's been on enough shipwrecks already to know that things aren't good. Plus, I really believe from his language that God is speaking to him, that the Holy Spirit has revealed something to him. Because look at what it says. I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous. I believe God has given him a vision, has given him some sort of prophetic inclination of what's going to happen. And sometimes God will do that. Sometimes God will give us warning signs. Sometimes God will give us dreams. He'll give us visions. He'll give us pictures. He'll somehow prophetically reveal to us that we're going down a wrong path that we, we need to make some adjustments to our lives. You'll sense it, you'll see it, you'll feel it. This isn't going to go well. Look at verse 11. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Let's face it. Who is Paul here to tell anyone what to do? He's a prisoner and he's a preacher Who does he think he is telling anybody what to do? He has no authority here whatsoever. And yet he carries God's authority. If you like, he is God's mouthpiece in this situation. He is God's spokesman. He represents, if you like, the word of God. He is speaking what God is saying. So Paul, if you like, represents God's word in this situation on board the ship. He's bringing the voice of God and the wisdom of God into this circumstance. The pilot and the owner of the ship, they represent worldly authority and popular opinion. Why? Because look at what it says in verse 12. The majority decided that we should sail on. The majority. So we have Paul 
representing the word of God saying one thing. And we have the captain of the ship representing worldly wisdom and popular opinion and majority opinion saying something else. It's God's wisdom versus man's wisdom. And God's word says this, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. You see, what the majority say makes sense. What the majority say sounds convincing. The experts sound incredibly persuasive. But it turns out that the majority opinion and listening to the experts takes them into a massive storm where they lose all of their cargo and they almost lose all of their lives also. Let me say something to you. Just because the majority say something doesn't make it right. Just because something is popular opinion in our society, in the media, or even from the so-called experts, it doesn't mean it is right. Let's be honest, haven't we seen that at this time? That the experts have no more of a clue than you or I have. And I'm not knocking them. We've never been here before. But there comes a point where the experts have got to hold up their hand and just go, we don't have a notion about what's going to happen in the next three months. Like they have no more of a clue than Billy and Mournview and Lurgan has about what the next three, six months are going to bring. And But we listen to them every day and we base our lives on them. The experts, the majority opinion, worldly wisdom is not enough to get us through right now. When popular opinion and the majority contradicts what God's word says, they are always wrong. And listening to them will lead you into storms. It will lead you into shipwrecks. It will lead you into trials and difficulties and a mess in your life. If you choose what the world says over what the word of God says. Proverbs 4 verse 12 says this. And I'm going to say it in the King James Version just for emphasis. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There's ways that seem right to the majority, to the experts, but they just lead to death. Jesus himself said this, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. In a godless, secular society, can I say this? The majority are nearly always wrong. So when you know the truth, when you know what is right, do not be swayed by popular opinion or by the pressure to conform to what our culture believes. Because believe it or not, our culture is so messed up because they have rejected the word of God. Stand on the word of God. Stand on the work of Christ. Stand on the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. As the old hymn says, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. You know, we've already said that there's times when we get ourselves into storms. Through our own decisions, through our own mistakes, through our own stupidity. Let's be honest at times. 
we, we, we choose where to go, what to do, and what decision to make. But then there's other times that it's outside of our control, that we don't actually have a choice, that the actions of others are just what's going on around us brings us into a storm. You see, Paul here could give his opinion. Paul here could express what he believed. But in the end, what they did with that was outside of his control. And some of you have been through the worst times, not through any fault of your own, not through any mistakes you've made, not through any sin you've committed, but through the stupidity and through the sin and through the wrong decisions of others. You didn't choose it. You have been committed and loyal and faithful and whatever it is, but other people's decisions have caused you great hurt and great harm. Sometimes it's nothing even to do with other people. I mean, think of the situation at the minute with this virus. None of us chose it. None of us caused it that we know of. Uh, But we're all in it. We're all facing the same storm. And the truth is that, that as Christians... We can't control the actions of others and we can't control sometimes the things that happen around us like, like what's happening at the minute. But we can seek to control what happens in here. We can seek to do what's right. Just because there is a storm around us doesn't mean there has to be a storm within us. Just because there's a storm all around us in this culture right now doesn't mean we have to allow the storm in here. You see, ships don't sink because they're in the storm. They were made for that. Ships sink when the water from the storm gets inside them. And we do not have to allow the fear. We do not have to allow the negativity. We do not have to allow all the anxiety that is swirling around us at the minute to get inside us. We can live according to the word of God, placing our faith and our hope in Jesus Christ. Right now, as I finish, I believe as much as any time in history, our world and our communities need men and women of courage, of conviction, who not only believe but live what they believe. Men and women of character and integrity who will stand firm in these difficult times, who will lead the way forward, who will walk with courage and conviction and boldness through this into the good future that God has for us, who keep their heads when everybody else are losing theirs, who challenge the norm and the prevailing narrative and see things as they really are rather than the way the media tells us they are or the way our culture tells us they are, who are prophetically direct rather than trying to be politically correct, who are willing to speak up even when no one else agrees with them, who care about truth more than they care about their reputation or their title or their position. You know, just on Friday, we celebrated the anniversary of VA Day, Victory in Europe Day, that day when the Nazis unconditionally surrendered to the Allied forces. And so many people sacrificed their lives for our freedom. And we remember them and we're honor, we honor them and we thank God for every single one of them. But as well as the soldiers, it took the courage and the conviction and the strong leadership of Prime Minister Winston Churchill to mobilize a nation to, to, to fight 
the Nazi onslaught. The thing was this. When Winston Churchill started sounding a warning about the Nazis in the early 1930s, he was widely mocked and ridiculed. He was an MP at the other time, but other politicians and the press, they tried to silence him, and when they couldn't do that, they, they just made fun of him. He, his own Conservative Party tried to deselect him for the 1938 elections. He was a nuisance and an embarrassment. Everyone, including the Prime Minister at the time, uh, Chamberlain, uh, said that the Nazis were peaceful and if we could just appease them, everything would be okay. But Churchill refused to be silent. He's probably what they'd call a conspiracy theorist today. He chose not to believe the prevailing narrative, but to see beyond that to what was really happening. And as a lone voice, he continued to speak out, warning people, warning anyone would listen, sounding an alarm. This is what's going to happen if we don't stop this guy right now. You know, they made fun of him in 1934. They made fun of him in 1935. They ridiculed him in 1936. They mocked him in 1937. They tried to sideline him in 1938. And in 1939 and 1940, they begged him to stand as prime minister. Why? Because he was the only one who had the courage and the conviction and the foresight to speak the truth when nobody else would listen. And as prime minister... He led us through the war and he's regarded as one of the greatest leaders, if not the greatest leader, that Britain has ever had. Stand firm on your convictions, even if you're standing alone. Speak up for truth, even if everybody else is saying something different. Speak up for truth, even if your voice is shaken as you do it. Speak and stand with a holy confidence. Don't allow the storm around you to get within you. You have a saviour inside you who is stronger than any storm you will ever face. The Bible says this, that he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. And so I just want to speak as we close. I want to speak courage over you. I want to speak hope over you and I want to speak conviction over you that through this storm and whatever other storm you might face, that you will stand firm and that you will speak truth. Lord God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is timeless. And for everybody listening to this, I speak strength. I speak courage. I speak boldness. I command fear to leave. I command anxiety to leave. And I declare that your people will rise up at this time and not be consumed by the storm, but will stand in the storm. For the one who is in us is able to walk on the storm. That which is over our heads is under his feet. And we stand in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.